of The Outcast, the podcast giving a voice to anyone who has ever felt like an outsider or an outcast. This is a show with open conversation that promotes an opportunity for growth, education, and healing with many diverse communities. And I'm excited to welcome back our guest from the very first episode of Season 3, and that is therapist Timothy Elliott. He is joining us once again. This is for Part 2 of Gender Journey and Gender Expression, and I'm very excited to continue this conversation. If you did not hear part one, I would invite you to go back and listen to that conversation as we opened up a fantastic discussion around gender expression. Timothy, welcome back. Hi, Dee. Thank you so much for having me back. This has been a great conversation. I'm excited to continue. And, uh, you know, sort of where we left off in part one, we were talking about the importance of the family journey within gender expression. And I wanted to kind of open up part two with how important that family piece really is, um, not just being about the individual, but also being about the family. So many times, I'm sure you see this firsthand, Timothy, so many times family members need to be an advocate, have to be an advocate within, um, let's say, the healthcare community or the court system or any, the school system or any different community. So many times family members have to be an advocate for the young person involved with a, a gender journey. That's right. You know, families play such a a pivotal and important role for a young person just in their general development, but specifically when we're looking at their gender journey and gender identity development, families have huge impacts. Um, There are two studies that uh, I'll just name for the the listeners that I think really demonstrate this point. One was a study by Caitlin Ryan, the Family Acceptance Project out in California, that looked at for LGBT young people who do not have that parental support, who don't have affirming parents or caregivers, what are the impacts, what are the costs to the young person? And they found that those young people are about eight and a half times more likely to attempt suicide. They're about six times more likely to have higher levels of depression and about three and a half times more likely to use illegal drugs. Wow. Which just really speaks to the impact, kind of the internal distress and turmoil that it's placing on that young person. Um, and the, the other ways that they try to, to fill kind of that void that their caregivers aren't giving them. Absolutely. Um, the, a- and with, with the Family Acceptance Project, there are a lot of other statistics out there. It, it is one of the most pivotal um, research uh, pieces looking at the importance of family acceptance and, and just how can we help support families in getting to that point with our young person. The Outcast Podcast is supported by Richmond to DCHelpWanted.com. Most folks who work here love living here, and that makes a difference. At Richmond to DCHelpWanted.com, they're proud to work the hometown advantage around the clock, connecting local employers to local job seekers. Richmond to DCHelpWanted.com makes it easy to post a job, and it's local, so you won't get spammed by faraway job seekers. And if you're looking for a good local job, search jobs and apply online right now. Get the advantage of finding a job close to home at Richmond to DCHelpWanted.com. Local jobs that work. Timothy, I was thinking about some of the uh, some of the the personal stories that that even I've run across recently and a friend of mine um, uh, with a, a child that was on kind of the beginning in the beginning of a, a gender journey and and just being an advocate for that child within the healthcare system, you That's know, right. just going to the ER for, you know, um, just a, an urgent visit for illness or sickness, you know, having to uh, go 
to the nurse and say, you know, my child goes by this pronoun instead of the one that you see on legal identification, uh, because That's we right. are in the beginning of this journey. Just that piece right there. Just an unbelievable important piece that families yeah. need to educate themselves around and how to do. Yeah, right. And when we're talking about support, I mean, that, that is exactly what support looks like. Um, thinking about ways that we can advocate in small ways, for example, in an ER visit, really being the buffer between the young person and whatever medical staff um, intake person who's coming in to enforce names and pronouns and to give the information that's needed so that young person can get treatment. Um, support can also look other ways. It can look like just sitting with a child and being honest, saying, I don't understand this, but I'm going to join you in this process. I'm going to do my work to learn, and I'm here to love you unconditionally, to support you no matter where this journey takes us, and to connect us with the right resources and the people who maybe can help us along the way. Um, which it really thinks, when I'm thinking about support, it makes me think of another study that was done just not too long ago in 2016 by Christina Olson and her team out in Washington State. And it looked at kind of the inverse of what the, the Family Acceptance Project looked at, where instead of understanding what unsupport does to young people, it said, all right, with gender expansive and transgender young people specifically, what do we expect if their parents affirm them? And the way they defined affirmation and support wasn't uh, getting them to a doctor to, to quickly go to medical transitions or interventions, but more the sitting with the young person and saying, I believe you. I might not know where, what to do or where to go, but we're going to figure this out together. Right. And that study showed zero difference between um, non-gender expansive young people and gender expansive of young people when it comes to rates of depression or anxiety or substance use or suicidality, which is pretty huge when we think about kind of the huge disparity between those groups in the previous study. So again, going back to the importance of support and what it looks like, it, it doesn't need to be huge things where we're now walking in the, the pride parade or we're on the board of our local LGBT organization right. or we're a PFLAG um, contributor. I mean, it can look like that, but at the very basic level, it looks like sitting with and, and really listening to your young person, believing them, and messaging to them that, we, I love you, we're going to be here, and we're going to get through this together. We're going to understand what you need to live fully as yourself. I love that. That's really powerful. And and you were talking um, a little bit in uh, in part one about your work with some of the leaders in these um, in these organizations. Let's say in a school system, or let's say in the healthcare system, if they are looking to expand their knowledge, educate themselves, um, uh, which a lot of a lot of people are doing, a lot of school systems mm -hmm. are doing, a lot of healthcare systems are doing, um, and a lot of them still need to do so much. Mm -hmm. um, but you were talking about that work I, I'm just curious when you're working with those leaders and when you are helping to educate them how how is the information received do, do they seem open to um, growing their vocabulary within uh, the the terminology within gender expression mm -hmm. it, it really depends on on the the group that I'm sitting with I will say most of the the work that I've done recently um, 
just because people are seeking me out and bringing me in, there is some level of openness. Mm-hmm. Um, and wanting to, to learn and understand what's going on, what are the resources there to better support the young people in schools, in our communities, or in, in the clinical setting. Um, but every once in a while, you still get people, whether it's um, people that have different beliefs or values, um, that have different thoughts uh, around just gender and gender identity. Um, sometimes they just don't have access. Most of the time, they just haven't had access to the, the proper education and resources. Um, and, and my approach in those conversations is to, to really uh, provide a safe space to explore it and then with compassion gently challenge those thoughts. Um, for me, it all comes back to we're here to provide a service and to support our young people. Um, and I'm very clear that I'm never in the position of trying to, to challenge your personal values of belief. But I believe you can have your personal values and belief and still provide affirming care to a young person based on the research, based on the, the information we have out there, the resources that are available. Yeah, and you brought up the beliefs and values, and, and that really uh, made me shift to another another group that I would, I would love to chat about for a moment. Uh, when you are talking with um with with religious communities you know that's that that is a that is a whole different discussion but the same but but also you know it brings in some other things into play um even let's say with a a a family that are 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 struggling a bit with um their belief system and um their values and maybe that goes against what they thought or what they felt or um how do you approach that what what is that look like with within your within your method yeah the, the first thing I do is I still come back to safety yeah because with parents especially when we kind of dig underneath whatever's at the surface um, more than not there's going to be that safety concern is I just want my young person to be safe and whether it's uh, they they're worried about safety navigating religious institutions or they're worrying about safety because they don't believe certain things based on value and, and beliefs that are differing, I just come back to that safety and, and find that common ground to, to start building a dialogue around and it's really exploring, all right, how can we help keep your young person safe um, and, in real ways? Uh, if that means giving them the option, of, uh, especially as they're navigating different religious communities or exploring the, their spiritual identity, um, what that looks like. Uh, again, the whole way processing for parents what's coming up, the other thing is helping connect them with uh, affirming faith-based organizations or affirming people within the, their faith community. Right. Uh, and kind of my go-to for that, to be quite honest, is PFLAG, just because they have such a vast network across the U.S. of, of um, families and parents and young people that have come up through the support of PFLAG and are connected in with different faith-based organizations. So going there and, and really exploring, all right, is there um, someone from your faith tradition who, who has gone through this journey or could be able to talk to you and kind of using the, the language and, and the, the shared knowledge of, of a shared faith community help kind of along that journey? I think one of the the missteps, uh, in my opinion, that a lot of uh, faith-based leaders will will take is thinking that all of the young people that are going on a, a, a gender journey and, a, and expressing themselves um, in a particular way need to seek some sort of mental health uh, care. And 
that's not always the case. Um, and it, and, and just saying that comes across sometimes as very negative. Right. Absolutely. I'm so glad you brought up that point because I'm thinking about kind of the gender affirmative model, which is a newer model that especially within the, the medical setting we're using to um, really affirm gender and provide a safe space to uh, explore gender and, and do it um, that resonates with the young person, it really comes that thought that just because a young person is exploring or, or trying to understand their, their gender, that maybe it's outside of the, the binary boxes of, of boy-girl, doesn't necessarily mean that they need treatment, quote-unquote treatment. Right. It doesn't necessarily mean that they need, quote-unquote, a professional help, right? So kind of moving away from this pathology of gender and trying to really depathologize, saying that it's not a problem. Um, it's more of what does navigating the community who thinks it's a problem, where does, what, what distress does that cause, mm -hmm. you know? And really, again, focusing on that distress and building up supports and strategies to navigate that, as opposed to saying, you know, there's something inherent to you that is a problem, which we, we want to avoid at all costs, because that's not true. Yeah, and avoiding things, I mean, I'm sure that a lot of families, um, you know, as well, that are in, in the midst of uh, maybe a new journey with their child, um, avoiding avoiding things, phrases like, oh, well, we've this is something we have to deal with you know just knowing your language and your tone mm -hmm. around a lot of it I think is so mm -hmm. important I'll be honest with you Dee I have so many families that come to me specifically to to support their young person with gender but as we start doing work together we, we soon come to the realization that gender is the least of what's going on mm. that this is still a development developing adolescent who has has challenges navigating especially with um, the, the burst of social media and social influences the academic pressures, um, and all the other ways that an adolescent is coming up. Um, gender is one piece of it, and, and I, I tell parents that, but let's not forget it's not their entirety. It's not the only piece that this young person is dealing with. Uh, and so kind of as we're, we're even talking about the gender journey and looking for supports and exploring ways to, to feel more affirmed in who you are, we're also tending to those other pieces. How are things going socially with you? Um, are you connected with friends that you feel good with? How are things going academically with you? Are there um, any levels of anxiety or depression that may be related to the gender journey but may very well not be related to that and how are we tending to those pieces as well yes and and, and really just as you know uh, the young person as a whole I mean kind of taking a step back is is so powerful for many families mm -hmm. as they sort of look at it with a wider lens I'm sure you see that uh, come to life you know within within your office like immediately yeah absolutely it's that holistic approach where okay this is what got you in the door this is what's getting you connected to supports but let's not focus exclusively or entirely on this piece because there's so much more to you, number one. And number two, there might be other areas that need some attention as well, and we don't want to neglect those. Absolutely. I, you brought up a really good point, this this massive world of, uh, of social media. Very interesting um, as we uh, navigate this that world with, you know, seeing everyone's life play out um, in front of us all the time and availability to that all the time. Have you been... Um, have you been encouraged by some of the, uh, let's say, like celebrities who have come out recently uh, to say, 
you know, I'm going to raise my child in a gender fluid environment or I'm going to raise my child in a non-gender conforming way and things of that nature. I've been a little encouraged by some of that. I think that 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 conversation is a good conversation to have and to see play out, you know, in the outside world where we're seeing it on things like social media. Absolutely. I think visibility can always be helpful, especially for young people who many times feel like they're the only ones going through this. It can mm-hmm. be very isolating to hear news stories, especially in a very positive light, talking about families or individuals who are coming out around their gender identity or are talking about raising their young people in a non-gendered, non-gender binary manner um, can be so supportive, even just knowing that, oh, See, this does exist. There are places that that, um, these identities are are really lifted up and celebrated and can make whatever that young person is going through uh, a little bit more manageable to to get through it. Um, You know, it reminds me of a a resource that I I share with my young people a lot, and it's the It Gets Better Project, um, which is such a a wonderful video library uh, of thousands and thousands of individuals across identities, across um, just statuses, thinking about celebrities and political leaders and talk show hosts to just ordinary, everyday people, um, giving the message to young people that it does get better. And and oftentimes when I have a young person who who may not have a community that's supportive, may not be connected with with any resources in in face-to-face, kind of sharing this resource with them, this online resource so that they can, they can go and still get that same message, that they can connect with others that maybe hold an identity that they hold in, in common, and sharing that message of it gets better, um, sharing kind of the steps that they took to find supports and giving resources along the way. I think it can be such a powerful thing. I agree. And I think, too, you know, we're seeing a lot of that play out, um, you know, on television shows now and movies now where, where yeah. we're able to see... Uh, you know, real life play out in a lot of these ways that are opening eyes uh, all across the world. Yeah, and in so many ways. There's the TV show, The Supergirl. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yes, yes. Uh, But they um, have the first transgender Mm -hmm. superhero um, that's on that show. And and I, I think the show does a beautiful job of not making it about the transgender identity. Right. Um, that it's uh, a superhero that discloses that they are a transgender woman, but that's not the theme. It's kind of almost like a, a sideline, but then they get right back into what they're there to do and, and the, the story that's going on. And I think that's just so beautiful and normalizing that these identities not just exist, but they exist normally and that you can live a, a full life um, even as a superhero yes. in a, a comic um, TV show. Um, but that. that and going back to the impact for young people, that's what they're watching. Yeah. So to see representation of them there, it helps normalize it for them. It helps give them a little bit of strength to get through whatever they're facing. That's so powerful. And, and you're right. This is this is what uh, our kids are watching. And this is what they're they're spending their time binging these shows. And, you know, I mean, it's yeah. it's going in at a, at a pretty high rate. And to be able to to see some of this play out um, in such a positive way uh, on television now is is just very encouraging. Yeah, absolutely. 
So we were talking a little bit about um, some of the uh, the acceptance and support piece uh, with the families a little bit ago. And I know that we have a lot of families within um, our, our region here that are really looking for their community to help uh, their child in their gender journey and, and to really uh, be able to give them the best support that they can. I really love some of the resources that you've mentioned in, in uh, part one of this as well as this episode. Um, and, and if anyone is looking for any of that information, I'm sure they can reach out to you, Timothy, and you can point them in the right direction. Absolutely. I'd be happy to. The best way to contact me is on my website, which is elliotmsw.com. Elliot spelled with two L's and two T's. I always like to, to clarify that for people. Yes, that's good because uh, I know a lot of people have a lot of questions and and really want to get the, the best education and the best information that they can. And that is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Some of our uh, some of our journey is, as we sort of go through uh, life, you know, uh, we're, we're talking about the, a lot of the, the young people journey here. I know that you also work with adults as well. Do you find that um, some, you know, I, I find a lot of people that are come up to to me and talk to me, you know, at 30s, 40s, 50s, and say, I'm, I'm on a new part of this journey. You know, don't think that this journey stops at, at 18 or 20 or 22. This, this is right. a journey that can continue to, and does continue to evolve for, for all of us. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that is such an important point to remember. And kind of thinking the majority of my work I do is with young people, instilling that idea of this is a lifelong journey, not to overwhelm or to intimidate you, but to just appreciate that there are going to be things that that you're going to want to navigate and and need to navigate at different parts of your life, Um, not just right now kind of as you're coming through adolescence. Um, I see that a lot, especially with my young people coming in, who they come in, and I think part of it is just the developmental brain where they are in adolescence. They're focusing on the one thing they need. Oftentimes it's, I just want to get to hormones, hormone replacement therapy, and then I'm going to be set. And and I want to affirm that. I want to join in with them, but I also want to expand that and say, you know, this isn't going to to be a journey that ends when you get your hormones, right? In fact, in many ways, it's going to open up even more when you get to a place of exploring medical interventions and and how can we support you along that? What are um, some of the, the strategies just for coping and navigating that you have that are working? And where are areas that maybe we need to build those up a little bit more so that when you get to 40 and 50, you have the capacities, you have the community of support, you have the resources to rely on as the journey continues. We had some uh, some questions that came uh, from part one of our episode. And if, again, I want to mention, if you haven't listened to that, please do go back and listen. Really great introduction uh, to this conversation that we're having with Timothy. One of those questions, Timothy, and I know this is a common question that a lot of people have regarding the language of gender. Um, some families are learning and they're, they're you know, starting to realize how their expression of gender can sit with their child, how that comes across. And how do you navigate that uh, with families? How do you tell them to to learn this language of gender? Uh, Where do you start with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. First, I, I start with providing some books and resources for the parents just so that they can build some familiarity with the terminology, the, the processes, and what maybe their young person may be experiencing. And there are so many great books out there. I'll, I'll mention one. It's the Gender Book. 
and you can actually access it online as a PDF or purchase it as a hardcover. Um, but it, it's a, a great kind of um, exploration and understanding and unpacking gender, what it means, where it comes from, how it's experienced around the world and throughout history. Um, and it, it's done in kind of a, a graphic novel format. So I use it both for my young people as they're exploring, but also for parents and caregivers to have a, a good basic understanding. Um, the next thing that, that I really encourage parents to do is, is to let their child take the lead. So creating safety in the space for um, ex expressive and expansive behaviors don't enforce specific gender roles or, or gender norms. So if you have a, a young boy who is interested in, in dance or is interested in, in playing with dolls or dressing up as a princess for Halloween, for example, giving them the space to do that and really encouraging and celebrating that. Um, the other thing is listening to them. It's being open and building that the open communication back and forth, getting down and playing with them, doing some imaginative play, um, listening if things come up around gender and being curious about that. Ooh, tell me more about that. Um, and that kind of leads to the, the last piece, which is responding. Mm -hmm. um, when there is a concern that a young person is is sharing with you, uh, being open to hearing that, but then also responding in kind. If there seems to be some distress, maybe that's an indicator that, hey, let's look for, are there some support groups that we can go to together to learn about this? Um, here in this area, we have a couple great conferences. Um, one is actually coming up at the end of March this year. It's in D.C. It's called Leading with Pride. Um, it's a, a Saturday conference, um, all for LGBT young people and their families to come in and get support and resources. Um, there's another one up in Philly. Uh, it's the, the Philly Trans Wellness Conference. It's happening in July this year. It's a, a three- or four-day long um, conference that's open to anybody. It's completely free to attend and just another great resource. And then there's another one, the Gender Conference East, which is going to be in Baltimore this year, um, probably later in the fall. But looking for areas like that, um, connecting with PFLAG, other communities to go and get some of this resource to, so that we can respond to our young people. Um, what we don't want to do is we don't want to fall into the, the guiding, enforcing, or forcing certain roles, um, expectations, or stereotypes when it comes to gender. Right. We really want to lean more on that, that leading, listening, and responding in kind uh, to our young people, letting them lead the way. Yeah, fantastic resources for that. Thank you for sharing that. Um, as you, Timothy, as you advise young people in our community who are listening uh, right now and who are starting to be aware of their gender journey and maybe a new part in their gender journey, what is one piece of advice that, that you can pass along to them as, as they start to uh, really look in all of the areas of this new journey that they're on? Yeah, I think that the best advice I could give is realize you don't have to go through this alone. You know, connect, whether it's online with supportive communities, some of the resources I've mentioned, looking for people who are supportive in your school community um, or in other areas that you navigate, even reaching out to me, and I'd be happy to, to share resources kind of in your area here in Virginia. Uh, but realize that this is not something that any of us should or, or have to go by alone. You know, this is something that we sometimes need support from, and that's okay. That's great. That's powerful stuff. Uh, the website is fantastic. I, I would uh, I would encourage you to uh, stop by and and check out uh, Timothy's website, Elliot with two T's. It's ElliotMSW.com. And Timothy, give your uh, give your email address one more time. Sure. My email is Timothy at ElliotMSW.com. 
Very good. Timothy, this has been fantastic. You have been a, uh, a wonderful start to our season three of The Outcast. I cannot thank you enough for sharing your thoughts and your education with us. And, and, and really, honestly, truly, from my heart, I thank you for what you do in our communities and with our children and with our families. We, we really appreciate your work. Oh, Dee, I appreciate being on it, and thank you so much just for this opportunity. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed by the host and guests on this podcast are their own and not necessarily those of Centennial Broadcasting.